God bless. God bless. Amen. Thank you, worship team, tonight. Praise the Lord. I want you to take your Bibles with me, if you will, and some of you just open your Bibles and will fall right to it. But I, I want you to go to First uh, Samuel 17. First Samuel 17. title of this evening's message is The Giant Killer. The Giant Killer. Father, we ask for the anointing of your spirit, Lord, to crush yokes. Father, I pray that you will cause us to begin to see through the lens of Jesus tonight this passage of Scripture. Lord, I pray that you would expound upon your word, and I pray, Lord, that you would prepare hearts tonight to receive, and everyone said amen. amen. Tonight, we're going to get as far as we can uh, in, this, in this chapter, and I'm not promising we're going to get to the end. We likely will not do any decapitation tonight, okay? We're going to I'm build it up. We're going we're gonna to sever some heads potentially next week, okay? Uh, but we're going to prepare for that. We're going to get ready for that. Because I know that many of you are facing giants, but I want us to look at this passage in a little different perspective. I want us to look at this passage through the lens of Jesus. Don't you love it whenever Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and before he revealed the mystery of who he was, he walked with them and spoke with those that were walking on the road to Emmaus, and the whole time he was expounding explaining the scriptures as they pertain to him. That's found in Luke 24 and 27. And beginning with Moses, in all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. How many know that this book is about him? And we look here at types and shadows, individuals that, that represent him. Now, I, I have made a mistake. I know you wouldn't believe that about me, but I, I have made a mistake because I, 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 have, declared, I have declared that, uh, that we see in, in the word of the Lord that kings, priests, and prophets are anointed. You anoint a king for his duty. You anoint a prophet. You anoint a priest. And I said, I made this statement that there's not anyone else uh, in the Word of God that had that anointing resting upon them, but the Holy Spirit corrected me. See, we, we say that about Jesus, but we, we can discover in David, he was anointed king, but he also stepped in the role as a priest when he put on the ephod at Ziklag. And you can go through the Psalms, which he wrote the majority of, and you'll discover he prophesies in the Psalms about the Messiah that's coming. So that tells me that David is a type of Christ. And as we look at the analogies, as we look at the comparisons, we understand that those are limited depending upon the human's shortcomings. Okay? We, we see that. But... As we look through the lens, we're going we're gonna to look at the call of God. We're going to look at David as a man, but we're going to ultimately get to David as a type of Christ, the giant killer. Okay? So as we look here, let's just begin reading, and, and I'm going to, this sermon is going to be a little bit different than we, 
I normally preach, but I, I just want to expound upon the scriptures as we, as we read those and we pass through this passage here. 1 Samuel 17, let's just begin right here. It says that, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah, encamped between Succoth and Azekiah, in Ephesus, Damon, and Saul and Israel's fighting men were gathered. They camped in the valley of Elah. And they drew near to the battle in, in drew up in battle order to meet the Philistines. Now the Philistines were standing on the base of the mountain on one side. Israel was standing on the base of the mountain on the other side, in the valley between them. As you look there, what we see and what we're going to discover is there's going to be a giant in that valley. Church, hear me. From mountaintop to mountaintop experiences, which we all enjoy. We all enjoy the, the moving of the Spirit. We all enjoy uh, reaching new heights and, 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 and climbing to new peaks and new levels. But between every mountaintop, there's going to be a valley. And when we find ourselves in those valleys, we got to understand that the enemy may be encroaching. He may be there, but we are not alarmed. Amen? And once you look, there went out a champion for the camp of the Philistines, Goliath, was his name from Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. That's nine foot six inches tall. But I want you to notice this. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and, his, and was armed with a coat of mail. Now, the coat... The weight of the bronze coat was 5,000 shekels. So notice he's got a bronze helmet on and he's got a bronze coat on. He's wearing a 200-pound coat made of bronze. And he had uh, gavs on his, of bronze on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beeve, his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. That's about 45 pounds. And the shield bearer went, was walking before him and he stood and called out of the ranks of Israel. Why have you come out and lined up for battle? Am I not the Philistine? Are you the servants of Saul? Choose yourself a man and let him come down. And what we see is he issues a challenge there. He issues a challenge there. And he did this Every morning and every evening, every morning and every evening, he would come out into this valley and he would issue a challenge. Now, as we look here, I want us to understand that the hounds of hell bark the loudest at your door of destiny. The hounds of hell bark the loudest at your door of destiny. We see in Deuteronomy 9 how that the Lord said you're going to go over and you're going to possess the promised land. And when you get there, don't be alarmed, don't be, don't be surprised, but there's going to be a land where there's going to be giants dwelling in your place of promise. The sons of Anakim. Goliath is one of those sons. Now, we see that they were driven back and they were, they were conquered on many levels, but what we see in David's day, that there is still the remnant of the giant. He is standing out in this valley. This is, this is Goliath, whose name means soothsayer. He's a liar. 
The enemy, when he stands out there, all he has is lies to tell. If, he's, if you hear his voice, I assure you he's lying to you. If you can hear the voice of the devil, he's not telling you truth. He's telling you a lie. He's trying to pervert the truth. He's from Gath, which means wine press. How many, how many times have you discovered giants uh, speaking and their blasphemous things in your ears when you feel like you're under the most pressure you've been under? That wine press, those giants that are there. But I want you to notice what he's wearing. He's wearing a bronze helmet. Bronze represents judgment. So when he thinks, he thinks in terms of judgment. Whenever he shows up, he's showing up uh, with a a covering and the cloak of judgment. His spear in his hand is in order that, or the javelin that he has, he he wants to drive judgment through you. And he's there in the morning at the time when Israel should have been offering their morning sacrifice. And he shows up in the evening at the time of the evening sacrifice. He does this for 40 days. Morning and evening, he's there. The enemy will always be challenging because we understand and know that Jesus died at the time of the evening sacrifice. He was nailed to the cross at the time of the morning sacrifice, but he died at the time of the evening sacrifice so that we would understand looking back that whatever... There was a sacrifice in Israel for 1,500 years. In the morning and the evening, the lamb that was slain would point to ultimately the lamb because on the road of Emmaus, Jesus is explaining to them from Moses forward what those sacrifices actually meant. So the enemy will always challenge the completed work of Christ in you and in me through judgment. Judgment. Always bringing this cloak in this idea of judgment. Now, as we look at that, and as we see the, the, the scriptures, he says that he has an iron spearhead. This, is, this iron represents strength. The enemy wants to present himself in this valley, in this low place, With intimidation, subjugation, he wants to tell you lies, and he wants to bring pressure upon you. But there's good news. Amen? There's good news. There's good news. Some of you right now, you say, well, preacher, I've heard this message, and I've heard you preach this message. But the Lord wants you to know and hear and understand that when you hear the Word of God, you begin to apply the Word of God. In fact, in the midst of the storm, we got to learn to anchor ourselves. We got to learn to anchor ourselves. We got to, in the midst of the chaos and the confusion, when the voices are coming in and we know they're not the voice of God, we know that they're voice of the enemy, we've got to anchor ourselves in the midst of that storm. How do you anchor yourself in the midst of the storm? You keep your eyes on Jesus, you keep your eyes on the Lord. And when the voices start coming in, Instead of being discouraged over the you won'ts and you can't and you'll never accomplish and there's only gloom and despair waiting upon you, instead of being crushed under that because of the voices that are coming in in the midst of the pressure, what if we flipped it on the enemy and we said thank you for being a witness for what God is doing right now? 
What if all of a sudden we stopped, uh, we, 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 we started listening to that, and, and we know that he's telling a lie. We know that what he is saying is not true because he can't tell a lie. What if all of a sudden uh, that, that witness against us was realized that it's actually a witness for us? That we will succeed and we will possess and we will see revival and we will see our children recover and know God and walk with Him and talk with Him. So, as we see here, we're getting ready to face the enemy. The hounds of hell are barking and here's David. David, the son. The son of Jesse. The eighth son of Jesse. His three elder brothers are out following Saul. This is the verse I want you to look at here in verse 15. So, verse 15, his daddy sends him and says, I want you to go check on your brothers, and I want you to take some, a, few, a few items to, to the captains and to the, to, to the generals and the colonels and whoever. Check on your brothers, see how the battle's going. We're all talking about it. It's, it's all over social media. We're facing up against the Philistines, and they're out in the valley. You can find them because it's, it's been tweeted out there. We know where they're at. We've seen the Instagram post of, of, of Eliab, and, and, and they're all out there. So just go down there and see how things are going. But I want you to notice there in verse 15. But David would go back and forth from Saul, the shepherd his father's flock in Bethlehem. But David would go back and forth from Saul to shepherd his father's flock in Bethlehem. So a lot of times we think, as we read the passage there in chapter 17, we wonder how David gets in front of Goliath. And, but what we also see in that passage there is David's already been in connection and relationship with with Saul because there was a day where David was out in the field David being out in the field he he was tending his his father's sheep and he was out there soothing them and he was worshiping the Lord and he was playing his harp and he was noticed while he was out in the field. And I don't know, this unnamed servant girl in the house of Saul, when they discovered when the king got under such duress, such anxiety, a spirit came over him and, and fits of anger would just begin to enrage him. She said, I, I know what will help you. I, I know what will stop this. I, I know a worshiper. There's a worshiper, and, and I know where to find him. He's out in the field. That worshiper that's out in the field, he could play for you, and when he played for you, then it would, it would, that, that presence of praise would begin to calm your, your spirit. So they called for David. Saul said, that's what I need. I need a worshiper to come in here. I need a worshiper to show up to my house. I, I need a worshiper to come in here and to soothe this anxiety that's, that I'm feeling inside of my heart. Now we also see that David was, was out in the field when Samuel sold up to, showed up to anoint the, the, the next king of Israel. 
The eight son, the eighth, the seven sons were there at the house and they were ready for promotion. They were standing there lining them up. No, it's not that one. He's tall and good looking, but it's not him. No, it's not him. It's not him. Samuel knew the voice of God and he knew that he was supposed to go to Jesse's house and he shows up at Jesse's house and they're looking for the next king. They're looking to anoint the king, but they can't find him at the house because he's not at the house. He's not sitting at the house. He's out in the field. God recruits from the field. He goes out in the field and sees whether or not uh, you're, do, you're being about what you need to be about. And those boys there were there at the house and they're waiting on promotion, uh, but not David. David was out in the field tending the sheep, worshiping, worshiping, tending the sheep. And they said, look here, we're not going to sit down. There's not going to be any rest until that worshiper in the field gets in the house. I want you to hear me now. Because the Lord is calling forth the worshipers out of the field. God is calling the worshipers out of the field. He's calling those that, are, that have been steadfast and faithful before him. Those that have been trudging and going on. Those in the face of adversity. And the enemy thought he had you knocked down, but you got up again. And you said, I'm just going to keep on worshiping. I'm just going to keep praise upon my lips. I'm just going to keep on and keeping on. And I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but when they call me up, I'm still going to be worshiping the Lord. Now, before we face the giant, we've got to understand who we are. And more importantly, we've got to understand who the Lord is. Before we get to the place where to be prepared, if you will, giants are already here. They're all around you. They're, they're, they're the demonic force that, that there is trying to persuade, trying to stop, trying to thwart, trying to, trying to keep you back from discovering who Jesus Christ is in you. They're trying to, the little aggravations here and there. You, man, you step out for God, you're moving forward, and things are going great. And all of a sudden, there's, there's, there's a little ism and schism over here in the family. There's a little breakdown over here in the, in, the, in the automobile. There's something else. There's just frustrations and aggravations. And it's not what you are anticipating because you prepare and brace yourself. It's the stuff you're not looking for. It kind of starts creeping in. What we see is there is an unrest in the world today because the Father is saying, I'm not going to let you sit down until my worshipers arrive. We're not sitting down to the worshipers are called in from the field. I, I, I'm not going to let this world be at rest until my weos, my fully matured sons and daughters of God, until they begin to show up. See, because what the Lord is looking for is someone to worship him when nobody's looking. What the Lord is looking for is someone to magnify him in the workplace when everybody else is profaning him. What the Lord is looking for is someone that will just begin to, begin to call out and to cry out to him and to answer the wooing of his call and to know who they are. I've come to discover this. In order for us, true communication can only come through relation. True communication can only come through relation. And folks, we can't have a relationship with somebody we don't know. And see, we can't have a relationship with 
the unknowable God unless he gives us revelation. Now, I got set up, as I've told you, on a blind date with a young lady who's a basketball player, tall and beautiful. But I was told about her, but I didn't know her. I was told how tall she was, but I didn't know her. I was told how, how much of an athlete she was, but I still didn't know her. I was intrigued to hear about how beautiful she was. And then I was stunned when I was standing in, the pre in her presence, uh, in her, her beauty, but I still did not know her. We had a, a, a couple of conversations but that, that started it, but I, I still didn't know her. But let me tell you, as I continue to pursue and we continue, we entered into relationship, guess what? Spending more than two-thirds of our life together, I can say to you, I know her and she knows me. Why? Because we, we stayed together and through that, through that relation came communication and now you can come to me and tell me something about her and it better be nice. Amen? You can say something and you may look from the outside and look in, but you can't tell me something I don't already know about her. Why? Because I know her and she knows me and we can walk together and we can talk together or we can sit and ride and say nothing because we know each other. We know what, what the other one is thinking most of the time. So I just check out. So there's no point in wasting all of our brain energy. You go ahead and do the thinking today. Feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? But see, what the Lord is looking for in his church is for those who know him. Paul said, I want to know him. That word know him means to have ex experiential knowledge about him. It, it is to have an understanding and a, and a knowing. And when somebody comes and says something contrary to what I know about the God who I've been walking with and talking with and spending time with, I can say, oh, no, no, that's not the God I serve. You may serve him, but let me, you may serve an idea of who you think he is, and you may do many wonderful signs in his name. But the Lord said in the last days when it comes a time of judgment, he said, I want you to, you, well, Lord, I cast out devils in your name. I've raised the dead in your name. I've healed the sick in your name. He said, but, but you need to depart from me because you just don't know me. See, the worshipers in the field, they know, they know the Lord. And see, the Lord is looking for you to know him, to know him, to walk with him, to talk with him. See, the Lord's been listening to your prayers and you've been crying out because he's put it in you to cry out. That hunger you thought that started from you, it didn't originate from you. It originated from him and the worship and the praise that coming forth out of your lips. That is what he has invoked in you. He wants you to know him. So here's David. Before we face the, the enemy, before we go against him, we need to know who the Lord is. We need to know him. So the enemy steps forward in the morning and the evening. 
And here's old Saul, poor old Saul. Poor old pitiful Saul. Where is Saul in verse 19? He's in the valley of Elah. Here's Saul, and he's not going after the standing up in his office. He's not standing up and going out and facing the enemy. He is in the valley of Elah. That word Elah means curse. He's camped out in the place called curse. Let me tell you, you're going to have a hard time facing a giant if you're camped out in the camp called curse. If you're not quite ready to go out and decapitate a giant, if you got this idea that everywhere you go and everywhere you look that you're cursed. That, that you're, you're a child of God, but you've got some generational curse re- resting on you. Let me tell you that the generational curse was, was destroyed when you entered into relationship and became a new generation of individual through the shed blood of Jesus. You're saying, we don't see Jesus yet. Let's, we're going to get there, okay? Just hold on. We're going to get there. But what we see here is Saul is sitting there. And Saul does the very thing. He does the very thing that that the enemy was doing. He goes and he calls David up. And when he calls David up, after David is he's 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 wanting to know what's the reward if we go out there and, and kill the giant. Word gets back to Saul, and Saul says, David, come here. What are you doing, son? You're a harpist. What do you know about giant killing? You're a worshiper and a shepherd boy. What do, you, what do you know about killing giants? What do you know about going out there and facing down these giants? He said, well, let me tell you. It's like this. I was out tending a sheep, and a bear and a lion showed up, and I killed both of them by the power of God. And what I perceive is what's going on right now. This is not of God. And if it's not of God, it's of the devil. And because that is an uncircumcised voice that is being heard in the morning and in the evening, and that challenge is, is coming, it's not of God. It's not of God. Let me tell you, if it's not of God, it doesn't matter how big it is. Amen? If it's not of God, then it's not of God. And if it's not of God, it's not bigger than him. It cannot overtake him. It cannot stop him. It cannot prevent him. Because the Lord speaks to the voice of victory. And he is saying to you and I, I am a God who stands upon the mountains. And I am the God who is there dwelling in the valleys. And there is no giant so big that I cannot conquer. There is no enemy that I have not defeated in heaven and earth or under the earth. There is no weapon formed against you that's ever going to prosper. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So, as we look at that, what we begin to see is Saul gets this wonderful idea. Come here, David, I'm going to let you go. But this is how you're going to go out and fight the enemy. He says, I want you to take my bronze helmet and put it on your head. And I want you to put my bronze coat on you. And I want you to go out there and face the enemy because that's how you fight the devil with this idea of judgment resting on you.
You're better than me because you're innocent. I have failed, but I'm going to send you out there, and you're going to go fight the enemy in your own, your own ability. But folks, as you look there, what David says, I cannot walk with these. I can't move against the enemy. I can't, I can't go out there and face the enemy with this, with this judgment sitting on my head. When there's judgment always consuming my thoughts. And I got to put this coat of judgment on. When I go lay hands on the sick and, and, and that don't recover, I know it's my fault. When, when, I, when I get up and preach and no one moves, I know it's a shortcoming or a failure on my part. I know because of the, the past and the things that I have done and the failures that I've had is the reason why all of this evil is resting upon me and I just can't do it. But David said, I cannot face the enemy with all this judgment resting on me. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come full exposure. I'm going to take this judgment off my mind. I'm going to throw it off my back. And I'm going to stand as David, the beloved. I'm going to stand against the enemy in the Dahavid, David, the beloved, the one who is loved of God. Now we start tying Jesus in here as the giant killer. Do you recall what happened when John walked out and said, Behold the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And then he baptized Jesus in the Jordan. And when he came up, there was a voice from heaven said, Oh, this is my beloved, my Dahavid my son and who I am well pleased and then there was an overshadowing on a mountain of transfiguration and there is Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus and when Moses and Elijah was talking to Jesus Peter was panicking he didn't know what to do and all of a sudden he just started to word vomit oh my gosh let's build a tabernacle let's build an Ephesus we'll build one for Moses we'll build one for Elijah if they got a mom and a daddy and a brother we'll get one we'll get we'll get a whole caravan let's start a, let's start our very own commune that's what we'll do Let's, let's do a small, a tiny house. Uh, let's, let's start with a tiny house community. What are we going to do? And all of a sudden, uh, there was a voice that came from heaven, uh, and it said, uh, no, this is my beloved son. You need to listen to him. Uh, Elijah had his day. Uh, Moses had his day. Uh, but Elijah and Moses was pointing to the one uh, that had the voice, uh, the beloved. Uh, how are we going to stand against the enemy? We're not going to do it in judgment because the judgment took place uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, and that's what the enemy he doesn't want you to know is that he has been judged when we stand against the enemy we do so in beloved identity we stand there at the way Jesus stood there the way David was representing him because when Jesus hung upon the cross he hung Completely, totally exposed. There was nothing covering his beloved identity. When he died that day, he decapitated every Goliath that ever thought about muttering his voice in your ear. 
You are the righteousness of God in Christ and through faith in him, through faith in the real giant killer to the one who really has taken care of it all. And we stand in his strength because David was only a representative. But there came a day 2,000 years ago. It was a dark valley and it was a valley filled with every giant of hell. But they didn't know that day there was going to be a sweeping of decapitation that was going to take place in that moment when Jesus Christ gave up his spirit, declared Telestai it is finished. He arose that third day. Those poor folks walking on that road to Emmaus was absolutely clueless. As the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus, the giant killer, was walking alongside of them. Walking alongside of them. I'm not just going to be with you. My spirit's going to be in you. And my spirit is a champion spirit. My spirit is a spirit that destroys the works of the enemy. I'm going to destroy it in you, and then I'm going to destroy it through you. And my kingdom's going to be established, and you're going to go to the uttermost parts of the world, and you're going to declare that I am the Lord and Savior and King of all. But see, in order to step out, you and I in that place, as Jesus would have us step out in that place, we need to know who we are in Christ. Now, I'm not telling you go do a complete restart and a reset but I'm telling you right there where you're at in the giant you're facing pray the, I'm praying the Lord give you the revelation in this moment of your beloved identity but that word beloved means it means you're loved it means you're greatly loved it means an expression of the one doing the loving it's an action. When, when God calls us the beloved, what he's declaring to you and I is this is my attitude, my emotion, my reach into your life. You are greatly loved, abundantly loved by me. And when you walk out knowing that you're loved... Love covers a multitude of sin. Love, it, it, it takes away the anxiety and the stress. And yes, my children had great respect for the mom and daddy because they knew if they messed up, they're going to get their little hiney spanked. But we had this conversation over and over. You know why I'm going to, you know I got, to, I got to give you a spanking. You know why I'm doing this? Yeah, daddy. Yeah, daddy. You're doing it because you love me. Daddy, love hurts. <laughs> but you know, until they get to the place where they they take that correction and they, they, they you know, they step into that place and they start they, they get over into that place where now they like, wait a minute, mom and daddy weren't they weren't mad at me. They weren't they might have been mad at me, but they they got over that man. They did what they did because they knew that that discipline brought peaceable fruit of righteousness. 
and help me to, to walk where I need to walk and speak what I need to speak and behave like I need to behave. They didn't, they didn't correct me. Maybe we shouldn't call it correction. Correction. How often does our Father correct us? He corrects us. Why? Because He loves us. Why? Because He wants the best for us. Why? Because, see, if you can't, when I cease to be teachable, then I cease to be reachable. If God can't teach me, He can't reach me. So we, we land many times in the, in the camp of I know it all. I, I, I've got it all figured out. In my, uh, there's no moving of my boundaries or my barriers. I, I've got it all figured out, and I'm pretty rigid about what I believe, and I, and I cast judgment on those when they don't act like I, they just, you know, I get it all lined up. And I'm not saying to you folks... <laughs> That there's not uh, some foundational heels that we stand upon and, and we will die on those heels. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. But what I'm saying to you is I want to be teachable. Because I, I don't have it all figured out. And if I could be teachable, then I could be reachable. And if God can teach me, then I can reach that next level. I've seen too many in the body of Christ stop the magnitude of what God wanted to do because they ceased to be teachable in the kingdom of God. And they decided that they had it all figured out and they didn't need any more instruction. And so they shut them their doors of learning off. And now they, 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 they don't reach that next level and they have have stymied the work of God within them. Folks, let's be lifetime learners and let's hold to things we don't understand loosely and let's let the Lord lead us and guide us in all righteousness to discover what it is he wants in us and what he wants to do through us in this world. Amen? See, I thought I had righteousness all figured out until... I discovered I didn't have anything figured out until I started defining righteousness as God defines righteousness. And I read over in Deuteronomy, and you, you can skip down there a little bit, and you discover after the first three verses that we always preach, we leave out those other verses that seem to bring condemnation to us, and that is this, that the Lord is driving out those, those alien forces out of the lands of promise not because of our goodness, but because of their wickedness. I said, Lord, what does that mean? He said, those inhabitants that are not being driven out of the heart of humanity are false imagers. And they're going to lead them into a path of wrong identity. And because of that wickedness and because of the plan that the Lord has in place, he drove those enemies out on the cross 2,000 years ago so that we can live in the open room with the living God and know who he is and understand who we are and that we are the beloved through Jesus Christ. And we are righteous through Jesus Christ. And we are free through Jesus Christ. And we have ascended to the Father, and we are at the right hand of the Father through Jesus Christ. And that the work that he declared is finished was not only finished on the cross that day, it's finished in my heart this day. 
And now when I stand to the enemies of my past, the enemy of my future, the enemy that, that comes against you, the enemy that wants to stop you, the enemy that wants to thwart the very work that God has in store for you, I stand in the valley through the blood.